0: Perfect. So we are going to get stuck in. We are in the final part of our series in James. And uh, it's been a really challenging series. If you're joining us for the first time, you're welcome to check it out on YouTube. But uh, James is one of those books, as I've said before, where he just doesn't hold any punches. Uh, If you're after an easy read that's going to make you feel good, probably don't read James uh, in a hurry. But if you really want to be challenged and inspired and you want to live a life that matters, definitely dive into it. But one of the things that you realize in our lives on earth, and this is regardless of where we stand faith-wise. So whether you're exploring faith here today, whether you're not sure where you stand with God, whether you've known Him for a long time, in our lives on earth, regardless of our faith journey, there's a pendulum swing that happens in our lives between highs and lows. And I think that's natural in our lives on earth, in the broken world in which we live. And so we have these moments of great joy, and then on the other side of the pendulum swing, moments of really tough Hard things. Uh, Sorrow as well. We've got moments of celebration and uh, elation for Springbok fans. And then obviously for others, despair. But celebration in any aspect and then despair in other aspects as well. We'll see this in our daily life. Maybe hopeful expectation and where you've been so excited about something coming off and something happening in your life and maybe it does. And then maybe in other moments a real sense on the other end of the pendulum swing of um, shattered dreams, of things you thought would happen in your life, of the way you thought a relationship would turn out or a business deal would turn out or uh, just where you thought your life would take you and so you have this pendulum swing. Uh, Maybe success and disappointment. And that's part of our lives. I think each of us would be able to say if we tracked through our lives, we'd be able to see moments on one end where there's been joy and success and great things and on the other end where maybe there's been despair or tragedy. And uh, we could sum it up if we aren't Christ followers as chance, as luck, as part of the evolutionary cycle. It just happens. To be honest, if we sum it up as the evolutionary cycle, we shouldn't be upset in the slightest. We shouldn't have feelings. We shouldn't have emotions. Those are just fabrics of our imagination. But I think that we all know that we do have feelings and we do have emotions. And we know that because you can hear great music and you're um, captivated by it. You can look out and see beauty and it does something for your soul. So I think we, we do believe that. But for Christ followers, there's also other highs and lows to navigate. We've seen some of these in the book of James, but there's other ones for us to navigate. There's going to be the wonder of supernatural healing. And we've seen that happening amongst us. We've had some wonderful testimonies of that in the last few months. And then the struggle of illness that never leaves or illness that ends in death. So we have this pendulum swing there. Maybe we have it where there's an amazing breakthrough that happens in our lives. Maybe it's been something that we've been trying to battle. Um, we've had lots of stories here at Hope Church of people coming through various different um, addictions and seeing God set them free from it. So we have an amazing pendulum swing. But at the same time in our faith, there might be situations that just never seem to turn around. Struggles in our life that, that just permanently seem to cripple us for, for weeks and for years ahead. There might be words spoken of us that have come to pass. I know I've spoken to friends, and I know for myself, there's been some things, encouraging things, that were said over my life when I was a teenager. Maybe somebody prayed for me, maybe a word, and it's come to pass, and you look back and you just go, that's incredible. And then maybe at the same time, there's been things people have said or how you thought life would turn out, and you sit here now, 10, 20, 30 years later, going, that hasn't happened. What happened? Did I hear God right? Did I hear Him wrong? Is he still working in my life? Has he ignored me? Has he forgotten me? The other side of the pendulum. Beauty and wonder, tragic events and fractured relationships. And we live and we're called to live as Christ followers in the middle of this pendulum swing. Because that's life on earth. And we're promised that it's going to be a pendulum swing. Our short moment on earth is this uncomfortable middle ground where we grapple with breakthrough and tough things. Where We grapple with celebration and uh, disappointments as well. And so it's a constant balance. It's a constant juggling between the promises of God that we want to see happen in our lives and that have happened, and those we're waiting for as well, those that haven't yet come to pass The kingdom of God is breaking out and has broken out. And we see him doing miraculous things and we've seen it amongst us as well. I mean, even in small things, like we've shared this often, but we've just seen radical generosity overflowing here at Hope Church. We are able to do so much on the back of that, but just sort of people constantly saying, just how, how can I give? Why don't you guys talk about where you can give? What, I've, can I do this? Can I give this of myself? Can I give of my time? And it's just radical. That's supernatural. That's the kingdom of God breaking out, a generous culture. It's so exciting to see. But then we're also only going to see that fully realized one day when we walk through the doorway of eternity. No matter how great a breakthrough, no matter how great a kingdom breakthrough in our lives on earth, it's never going to be fully realized because that's reserved for the kingdom to come. And so we live between these pendulums. And it's essential that we hold both extremes of life in the context of earth and eternity because you see Satan, who is real, There isn't just a great God, there's an evil enemy as well. And he's real and he's alive. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. And uh, he's dead set on preventing us living the life that God has called us to. But Satan, he loves us to only take the extremes of faith. He doesn't want us to live in this uncomfortable middle ground where we have to believe and then we have to trust. He doesn't want that. He wants us to live on these ultra edges of extremes. Why does he want us to do that? Because the extremes of life bring the weird, they bring the wacky, they bring the dangerous, they bring the damaging, and he would farther rather us believe the extremes than live in a healthy balance in between the two. He loves extremes. If you see anything in anybody's personal life or in church life that goes haywire, it's because there's an extreme edge that's been taken and not the healthy middle ground that he calls us to live because that's where scripture would have us live. If you read through this, And I want to encourage you to do it. I think often, and I'm challenged just the same myself, is often we might have one in our home, but we're far too quick to listen to a preach or to read a book than we are to dive into this, which is truth. But if you read Scripture and you read all of Scripture, you get both ends of the pendulum swing. If you read all of it, you get both. But if you cherry-pick verses that you like and ignore the rest, you get some great extremes, amazing extremes. But it's not the truth of Scripture. It's not how we have to hold life in the balance. So I want us to be people who dive into God's word and take it and are able to sit in between the unknowns and the not yets and the questions, but we can sit comfortably because we see that scripture teaches across all the spectrums of life. Satan doesn't want that, but that's what God wants. Satan wants us to either, I've got a few examples, he wants us either to pursue a poverty mentality. If you follow Jesus, everything's just gonna be terrible all the time. Or he wants you to be on the other extreme and just go follow Jesus. He'll make your wildest dreams come true on earth all the time. And Satan knows if he gets us to do both, he damages everything. Whereas Jesus calls us to live in this healthy balance in between. We might live on one end. God heals all the time on earth. If you don't get your healing, you've done something wrong. Or you might go on the other end of the spectrum. God never heals. He doesn't do it today. That's finished. It's done. It used to happen, but not anymore. Actually, no, we live in the now and the not yet. He does heal. Sometimes he doesn't and we don't know why, but he does and we live in the mix of both. But don't be taken to extremes. Others might be gifts of the Holy Spirit and it must just happen all the time and it's crazy and it's wild or gifts of the Spirit never happens. Done, finished. No, actually we're called to live healthily and biblically in terms of what scripture teaches us in that. We love those passages of the Bible that they make us feel really good. We don't like the ones that make us feel uncomfortable, so we read certain sections, but we ignore the others. The list could go on, but every time, as I said earlier, we move personally or corporately to an extreme instead of a healthy, balanced ground, we set ourselves up for disaster. At best, we live a faith that's not a good reflection of Christ to the world. At worst, we end up questioning our faith because we believe things in Scripture that aren't in their proper context. I've seen many people's faith derailed or people's faith live in this terrible questioning phase. Does God love me? Does he care? Because they believe things in Scripture that are cherry-picked passages rather than the entire counsel of God. We need to be a people who know the Bible and know all of it. So why do I share this on a long introduction? Well, it's because Scripture teaches that, but James does as well. In these few minutes, we're, we're going to look at together as we close out James. You're going to see that James takes us across the spectrum of the pendulum and he lays it out to us and he says, you need to live in the uncomfortable middle of what Scripture teaches. I do it. James was Jesus' brother. I do it. And I've been living this and you need to do the same as well. And it's our prayer for us as hope as well, that we'll take God's word and we'll take all of his word. We want to hold the truth of Scripture with the uncertainties of this present world whilst we look to the wonderful certain future that is our everlasting promise. Anything that you feel you've missed out on in this lifetime, any questions that you have, God will make it right. He will make it right for all eternity, not for a few years on earth but for all eternity. We celebrate the past in what Jesus has accomplished. We embrace the present of the now and not yet, and we look to the fulfillment of all his promises for all eternity. And if we do this, you and I will live a resilient faith, a robust faith. We'll stand strong in the eternal truths of God. We won't be swayed by the winds of suffering and despair. We won't be stuck in the pit of questioning. We won't be held back by the chains of confusion we'll be grounded on the truth of Christ and we'll live with resilience. No matter what our circumstances, we'll come out the other side stronger and closer to Jesus than ever before. So that's what we see woven into the truth of scripture and we're gonna see it a bit more as we dive into the rest of James. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna jump around, but I'm mainly gonna be James four and five. So as I shared earlier, what James does is he speaks topically, but he doesn't ca- cover a flow. He keeps going in cycles and returning back to what he's done in the past, to double up on our understanding. But these are the three questions that we're going to look at under resilient faith. Firstly, why do we need a resilient faith? How can we develop that resilient faith? And what does God promise us as a result? So firstly, why do we need a resilient faith? Well, it kind of goes without saying, I've shared a bit of it, but it's because life on earth is not perfect and it never will be. So why do we need that resilience? Because we're not going to live in a perfect world. In fact, if it was, there'd be no need for faith. There'd be no need for trust in Jesus at all. We would be in heaven already. But the reason we need faith, the reason we need God's word, the reason we do this and spend time together as family is because we're on earth. We're not yet in heaven in a perfect world. And James uses words to describe the trials that we go through as Christ followers. We're going to look at a few. This is not James 4 or 5, as I told you. This is James 1, but there we go. Um, It says, he starts off, and he just says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So we may face trials, and James is saying there's a purpose in us remaining resilient during these times. There's a blessing. We'll talk about that in a bit. But the bottom line is, there's trials. What does he say in James 5, verse 13? He has a question. Is anyone suffering? But that's not a question like, I don't see anybody suffering in my church that I'm writing to or in the outer line. It's a question of, no, People are suffering. So is anybody suffering? There's gonna be something to do, but again, difficulty in life. He assumes that people will suffer in the world and need help. And then one of the key passages in James that speaks into the area of needing a resilient faith is in James 5. Look at this one. We'll read it together. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. These were men who spoke years before those promises came to pass in Scripture. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, book in the Bible about a man who lived. We'll share that in a short bit. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so why do we need patience? Because things aren't right. Why does he say we need these things, that we need to be steadfast under trial or you know, blessed under trial if anybody is suffering and be patient? Why? Because there's a necessary resilience that we have to have For our faith. We're waiting for the rains. And then after that, farmers will be waiting for their fruit. So we need to have the same patient expectation for Jesus in our life. For his coming, but also for him working in our lives. And this time of suffering and patience, difficult trials, disease, death, uncertainty. What must we do? Well, the one thing that James says that we should do is we should look to the example of Job. Now, Job is not an easy read. Again, we've gone through James. Quite tough. Read through Job quite tough as well, not an easy read, but James, writing in the New Testament, Jesus has died and has risen again, Jesus has come in all his fullness, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, and James, Jesus' brother, says, you know what, when you're dealing with tough things, there's a man who's had a great example in this, and you need to look to how he handled it, and his name was Job. So I just love how, again, you see all of Scripture, and all of God's counsel Coming to pass. So as I said, Job's not an easy road, although the ending is great. The ending is amazing. So if you get through reading Job, it's just before Psalms, the ending is brilliant. It's an amazing example of patience under trial. So you can read it for yourself. We're not going to cover too much of Job now. But the principle was that he was blessed, that he was rewarded, that he enjoyed God's presence through, through remaining strong in faith in the most difficult of trials. Did he have questions? Yes. That's the best part about Job. Job has these questions of God. In Psalms, King David had questions of God. But then God answers and God shares his heart and he shows compassion and love in the process. And so the promise from God is that even though things happen that we might not understand why they happened, we can be assured that there's a God who's in control, that he's compassionate, that he's merciful, and that he's with us. That are, those are his promises in scripture. So you can dive into that yourself as well. So why do we need resilient faith? Because suffering, trials, and hardships are going to happen in your life and mine. To some it might be greater levels than others, but it will happen. And interestingly enough, it's actually the different levels of suffering that we struggle with most. I don't think most of us expect life to be perfect. But what we struggle with most is why are things harder for some people than others? When there's no rhyme or reason. That person didn't do anything wrong. That person didn't do anything right. But why does it seem that it's harder for some and easier for others? That's actually our question. And that's a question that we won't see answered this side of eternity because most of the time, there isn't an adequate answer to it. But Jesus has promised that one day all will be made right. And he has promised that he will be with us in the valley. But point one, why do we need a a resilient faith? Because those trials are gonna come. That leads us on to number two. How can we develop this resilient faith, this strong, robust faith? I'll go through this quite quickly, but again from James, a few great passages. Number one, remember that God loves you. I think we can forget that. It's easy for us to believe it intellectually that there's a God who loves us, that who who paid a great price on the cross for us. To believe it in our hearts is hard. It says there in James 1 verse 12, it says, He talks, blessed is the man I just read who remains steadfast under trial, For when he stood the test of time, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So it says to those who love him, but we need to realize that 1 John 4 verse 19 in scripture, it says that the only way we as people can love is because God first loved us. So he's the first mover. He created us to have a relationship with him, but he loves us. No matter what trial you may be going through today, regardless of your circumstance, I really felt for some people here today, you just need to know he loves you. That he paid the greatest price on the cross for you. It says in Romans 8, that nothing can separate you and I from his love. And then it lists it. It says famine or sword, goes through the list of difficulties and trials. Nothing can separate you and I from his love. We'll pray for that at the end. But he's close. So the first step to developing a resilient faith is to never forget that Jesus loves you, and he proved it on the cross, if ever you and I question his love, there's one thing we can go to, no matter how bad our life gets on earth, there is one thing that we can always turn to, and is to look at the bloodstained cross, which is now free and empty from his body, if you ever question his love, look to that, and you can never doubt his love on the back of that, secondly, how can we do it, is that he gives us a thing called grace, James 4 verse 5 to 6, says, well, do you suppose it's to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That part, he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. It just shows again how much he cares for you and I. But to help us on our faith journey, he gives us something called grace. There's a great acronym, I think, is what you call it. I think that's what you call it, for grace. Maybe it's not a word puzzle, whichever it is, which says God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great sum up of this word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's supernatural resources to navigate life. It's his power at work within us as Christ follows. It's the overflow of his heart towards us and he gives it to us at no cost. If you're wanting to build a resilient faith, receive from the grace of God his goodness, his riches towards us as a free gift. You don't strive for that, you just receive it. And it's wonderful to live on the back of that. But to receive that and to receive from him, number three, we need to be humble. I shared it just in that previous verse where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4 verse seven also says, submit yourselves to God. Later on in James 4 verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord. You know, God can't work in our lives if we're proud. It's one of the few places in scripture where it says God is actively opposed. Do you know why he's so opposed to pride? Is because it's the one thing that will prevent us receiving what he did for us on the cross. Because pride says, I don't need you, God. I can do it on my own. Thanks for dying for me. That's for other people who need help, but I can do it on my own. I don't need you. And by virtue of that, we reject what he did for us on the cross. And it means that when we stand before him one day and he just says, hey, I can't be in the presence of sin. Jesus died for you. Did you receive what Jesus did? You said, nah, I can do it on my own. He says, well, actually, in this case, you can't. But it's too late to make a choice. I gave you the option during life on earth. And now you get exactly what you wanted. You get for all eternity absence from me in a place called hell. And so, friends, we need to be humble to receive God's love, to receive his forgiveness. Come to God in humility. It's the best place to be. Come to his word in humility. Don't try and find the things that you like in scripture or put your ideas onto scripture. You see, so often we see things from a worldview that wants comfort, a worldview that wants the easy life, a worldview that wants everything to go well in our lives. And so we can portray that onto scripture. And so we take the things we like, we ignore the things that are tough. But actually we need to come with humility and say, all of this is your word, God. Help me to take it as your word, and as your truth, and if we do that in humility, you'll experience life and peace and joy like you can't describe. Number four, we need to draw near. It says in James 4 verse 8, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 5 verse 13, it says, if anyone's suffering, that question I had at the start, and it says, let him pray, let him talk to God, let him bring that to God. We can't grow our relationship with Christ by accident, by osmosis. I've tried it. I've tried it ashamedly from the front. i share for months on end where you can just run on empty. You can just run like you can build your relationship with God without actually diving deep into him, without spending time with him. But it's impossible. We can't build any relationship without time. I don't know how we often think that we can build our relationship with God without time. But everything else we do takes time and we kind of feel that we can do well with God without time but it doesn't happen that way. There's action required on your part and mine. We're never gonna be perfect, but we do need to make the decision to move towards God, to prioritize Him, to make our relationship with Him the focus of our lives. In your hardest moment, move towards God. In your greatest moment, move towards God. Don't run from Him, but run toward Him. Make Him priority. Next one, I think, was to walk in joy or to embrace joy. He says there, James 5 verse 13, he throws it out. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. There's so much joy that comes from building a resilient faith. And it says in scripture a few places, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is a fruit of walking with God. It's something that we can daily ask God for. It's outside of circumstance. It's this belief in your heart that things are going to turn out okay in the end. That's joy. Happiness can be short-lived, but joy is lasting. It's this deep-seated rest and trust in God that no matter my circumstances, it's gonna be okay. That's joy, and God can give it to us. The next one for resilient faith is love. It's love. It says James 5 verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. John 13 verse 35 says, by this Will all men know that you are my disciples, my followers? How? By how we love one another. Not about whether we come to church, not about whether we know this off by heart, but by whether we love people. That's the decider, that's the definer as to whether we have Christ in our hearts is the extent to which we love people, particularly those maybe who grind us the wrong way, which is why we all get together like this. Do Do you know why we're not supposed to do church on a screen? It's because when we do church on a screen, we don't have to change who we are. We don't have to um, navigate and rub shoulders with people. But here, we annoy each other. Not on purpose, but we just do. And I love it because it shows us we need each other. And it shows us when we read that we need to love each other as Jesus did. We have to put boots to the ground. We have to act it out. We have to live it out. And so it shows us where we're at with God. Because if we're struggling to love people, it shows us that we need to work on our relationship with Jesus That's one of the greatest gauges. If you want to see how you're doing in your walk with Jesus, just assess how much you love people. If you're loving people well and you're finding it easy to love people, it means you're walking close with Jesus. If you're struggling, it's an indicator you need to get closer. But that's my prayer for hope. It's my prayer that here, that's what people would experience. They can see that we're messed up and they can hear stories of how we haven't followed Jesus in the week before or we're dealing with sin in our lives, but the one thing I want people to experience is, man, they love me. I don't get how they can love me when they live like that in the week and they're working on their issues, but man, they love me because that's an indicator that God's working in our lives. Last one in this, and then we'll get ready for communion, is to pursue purity, to pursue purity. James 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 5 verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When we give our lives to Christ, he forgives all our sin, past, present, and future. Heaven's home, nothing will ever change that. But because we still are broken, because we still have sin in our lives, we still walk in sinful ways. We still battle issues in our lives. It could be any number of things. And we need to bring that sin into the open. We need to bring it into the light because in the darkness, it flourishes. Satan loves it when we keep these things in the dark because it holds us captive. When we get it out, when we get it out to him, when we get it out to friends that we trust, when we bring our mess before people, suddenly in the light, God can transform us. He can work. He can change us from the inside out. See, what sin does is it keeps our relationship with God at an arm's length. It stops us hearing from him clearly. It holds us back from having truly authentic relationships. It increases depression in our lives. It grows anxiety. We're never gonna be perfect but I wanna challenge us to allow God to show us, even right now, he's gonna show us. That's how good the Holy Spirit is. Right now, he'll show you. Might might make you feel uncomfortable in this moment. I won't get you to tell me what those issues are, but uh, he's gonna show you right now, mess in your heart. Get it out. After the service, share with someone. Get before God, ask him to help you in those areas. It might be hard to get it out, but start allowing God to work in that area of your life. As you do that, you'll see breakthrough like you didn't think possible and you'll see Satan's work defeated in that area of your life. I've got a few more to share, but I'd love the team to pass around the communion cups while I share these last few. We're gonna take communion uh, together as we close. Sorry, we'll probably be a few minutes over, two or three minutes, but maybe the host team can dish those around and as they do that, keep concentrating because I do wanna share the last bit which leads us into communion is what does God promise us as a result of a resilient faith and growing in those areas of life? He says, life's not going to be easy, and so it's not going to be easy. And he says, but I've got solutions to help you grow resilient faith. What are his wonderful promises as a result of that? First one, which will come up there, is the crown of life. He says there in James 1, he says, when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You friends, if you're a Christ follower here today, ah, thank you. If you're a Christ follower here today, heaven is home, the crown of life, and it will be there for all eternity. The Lord will reward us for all eternity for the way in which we live, sold out for him on earth. And that's gonna be a wonderful day, and not only heaven, but rewarded for being in heaven as well. So number one, Why is it worth living sold out for Jesus? Because heaven is coming. It's gonna happen. Number two, he alone has a purpose for our lives. James 5 verse 11, I'll read this to you. You I know it's getting passed around, but keep concentrating. This is what it says. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen, what did he say here, James 5? The purpose of the Lord. And then in verse 10, James 4, verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. He has a plan for your life. James looks to the life of Job, and he says, in all of it, and you can read Job later, God has a purpose. He has a plan for your life and for mine. Psalm 139 says that God saw our unformed bodies. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. We're not little chess pieces on a board. We're his creations that he loves deeply. And he's going to bring about his purpose in your life and in mine. Even when it seems like he's nowhere to be found, he's at work. He is at work in your life. Never forget that. Last two. Compassion and mercy. It's one of the promises. He said this with James 5 again with Job. He says, although Job went through tough stuff, it said over there, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It says in James 4 verse 8, he will draw near to you and me God doesn't only have a purpose but in that purpose he has compassion and mercy the difference between those two compassion is getting what we don't deserve mercy is not getting what we do deserve you get that that's the difference God's compassion is his kindness overflowing that we don't deserve but his mercy is not getting what we do deserve and in Christ we get both and that's such a joy to embrace and then finally and this will lead us into communion supernatural power. Look at what he says here. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And he says the same about faith. Um, it says, verse 16, confess your sins one to another, pray for another, one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power In it's working. We've seen God do amazing healings amongst us. I know there's more he wants to do and we're gonna pray for it shortly as we take communion together. So for those of you who've never done communion before or at least done it here, um, the reason why we take communion, God talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing and he's speaking to the church together and I know we'll be a few minutes over, but this is what he says in the Lord's Supper. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given it, uh, he, when he had done that, he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so for each of us today who are Christ followers, we take this bread as a symbol of his body broken for you and me, so that for all eternity, we can have a perfect body, And now on earth, there's an opportunity to experience supernatural healing as well. And so we just say, God, we're so grateful that you went through the most horrific body breaking so that for all eternity, we can be made whole. It's just absolutely wonderful. And so I'm gonna pray and then we can take this together. Lord Jesus, I wanna say thank you for your body broken for us. Thank you that you died on the cross, that you were whipped that you were beaten beyond recognition, that your body was nailed to a cross, that you died and you rose again, so that one day each of us, regardless of the circumstances of our death, if we're Christ followers, we will one day die and rise again to a new life with a new body that will never ever perish or fade. We thank you so much for that, Lord Jesus. We're so grateful for your body broken for us. Let's take that together. We're gonna take from the cup and then I just wanna pray for people on the back of that. Um, But this is what uh, Paul said when he was sharing the church as well. He said in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus' blood was shed, the perfect sacrifice so that you and I can be set free from our sin. He was the perfect sinless one who took the place of, Of us, so that we can experience his forgiveness on the cross, his life for ours. And so Lord Jesus, as we take this, your blood, perfect sacrifice for each of us on the cross, we wanna say thank you that as a result, we get to have life now with you, relationship now with you, but more importantly, we get to see you face to face one day with your blood, Jesus, that makes us pure and makes us whole. And we get to be your child now, and to live with you in heaven forever as a result of your forgiveness on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Your name we pray, amen.